You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, let's get started. We've had another week off, uh, but last week was a lot of fun. That was a great idea that Melissa had, and I'm glad we got to do that. Um, but back to deliverance. This is part four of deliverance, and we've just been kind of laying the foundation uh, of identity before we can get into understanding what it is to lead somebody through deliverance or to walk through deliverance ourselves. We need to understand the foundational truths about who each and every one of us, uh, who we are and how we are designed. And so two weeks ago, what we started talking about was life in the spirit. This is one of those topics that is commonly mentioned in church, but not commonly instructed on within the church. Uh, you know, you, we hear this often, you have to walk in the Spirit, you have to walk with the Spirit, live life in the Spirit. We read that in Scripture. Um, but, okay, that's great. How is this done? How do you do this? How do you step into this? What does that look like? And that's what we uh, began to move through two weeks ago. We'll start... Again, just reviewing, we'll start in Romans 8, verse 1. Again, this is life in the Spirit passage. This is an important passage. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin to in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace." For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So again, how do we live life in the Spirit? As John 15 tells us, we must first abide, which means to remain in. Remain in Him. Uh, And what that simply means is to remain in fellowship and in pursuit of Him. You cannot hope to step into all that Jesus has made available to us if we do not pursue relationship with Him. Um, This is... This is basic knowledge, but it's shocking for how many people this is profound revelation. Um, We just don't prioritize relationship with Jesus. And because of that, we miss out on a lot of our inheritance, a lot of what we're made for. Uh, When we abide, uh, this is where we are transformed, molded into the image of his son, Uh, But transformation, again, can only happen in relationship with God. And so we talked about this in body, soul, and spirit. As I abide, as I remain in God, transformation is a natural byproduct of that. There's two natural byproducts of remaining and having relationship with Jesus. When When you pursue Jesus, when you have relationship with Jesus, the two byproducts are, one, transformation, you begin to look like him. 
And the second one is faith begins to increase because faith is born out of encounter. Faith is a byproduct of time spent in his presence. And the result of all of this, we can see and hear God clearly. This is the result. When I abide, when I remain in, I cannot watch and listen. Again, I talked about this as one of my favorite uh, just sociological studies and, um, that I've ever seen done of just kids coming into a room and there's a bunch of women lined up shoulder to shoulder standing next to each other and the task that the kid is given blindfolded is to find, find his mother, find her mother. And every one of those kids is able to do it. It's profound. But how, they, they are able to do this just by touch Sense just by feeling the hair and all these things. How is that possible? Because there's time spent. So it becomes super easy to watch and listen for that which I spend time with. If I spend time with God on a regular basis, I see him very clearly. I see him very easily. It's not hard for me when I go to pick up my kids uh, after school to spot them in all the chaos that is going on around pickup time at that elementary school, just all the kids running around the playground, it, is not, it doesn't take but a second to recognize those that are mine because of the time spent with them. I'm familiar with their, with their expressions, with who they are. And this is the same with God. When we abide, when we remain in, and we become transformed and our faith increases because we spend time in His presence, watching and listening is not a difficult task. It's a very natural byproduct of time spent. If relationship is not pursued, though, and we talked about this two weeks ago, when relationship is not prioritized, when relationship is not pursued, because this, the spirit, it, your spirit is alive no matter what you do uh, after the moment of salvation. When you come to believe on Jesus and believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, for the forgiveness of your sins, that he died and he took your place and the punishment of sin so that you didn't have to. This spirit is, is reconnected because now your connection to God is restored. And so your spirit is connected again to, to God and has the opportunity to establish a deep connection and to see the byproduct of that connection. But what happens oftentimes is that this comes to life and we have salvation, but then we have no pursuit of Jesus in our personal lives. Pursuit of Jesus is not coming to church on Sundays. That's a part of it. It is important. We are made for fellowship. We have got to prioritize time in church, not because we need to be in the building, not because they need to see a lot of cars outside, but because we are made for fellowship with one another. There's something that happens to people when they go, it, it, this is another mind-boggling uh, study, but there's a study about prisoners who are in solitary confinement and what happens to their minds when they're removed from fellowship. Even unhealthy fellowship found in prison. There's, there's not a lot of healthy fellowship to be found there. But even being removed from that, what twists and warps their minds into this crazy psychotic state is because they had no human interaction. We are made to be together. We are made to fellowship with one another. But again, that is not where my relationship with Jesus can be rooted and found, is my time spent with you all. It has to be personal and individual before I can see it manifested in my corporate time together. But unfortunately, we don't have relationship. We don't prioritize relationship. And so what ends up happening is that God will speak to us. And what is meant to be heard and seen in the spirit, because there is no relationship with God, 
there's no ability to process what he speaks where it's meant to be processed, which is in the spirit. And so what ends up happening is we don't live there in the spirit. We live in the soul where we think and we feel. And we begin to process a word from God in the flesh. We begin to process something from heaven in the world. And when you do that, when you process it in the world, we will act in the flesh what was meant for the spirit. So what will happen, a lot of times, we see this a lot of times, we see instead of stepping into what the Lord had us do or or would have for us is we just, we take what he said, we process it, and we interpret it in the wrong places in the flesh. And then we come up with our best idea of how to do what what the, the Lord showed us. And so we come up with events. And that's what church has unfortunately become. It's just become one event after another. Um, It's funny to me to see the churches that have a hookup with with a printing company because they always have a new flyer. They always have a new poster outside for the new sermon series that they're getting into. It's all, or the new event, or, or the youth ministry. Now, I remember when I was in youth ministry, I went to a mega church that had a Massive campus. The youth had their own building on the far side of the campus. And it was, I mean, it was massive. And it it was just ridiculous. I I went there and I thought this was just church. And that's not what it is. Great people there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing that church. It was a great church. But it was insane. And we had gaming stations with every latest gaming console available in the lobby. We had ping pong tables. We had pool tables. All that stuff is great. But they had it to get kids in the door, right? Because the evangelical word that the Lord gave was processed here, not here. And we began to put our best spin on what it's supposed to look like. And it didn't look like Jesus at all. It just looked like a place for a kid to go and goof off and have fun and play with his friends. And that's all it was, unfortunately. Um, that wasn't that that wasn't behind the desire of the youth directors or anything like that. They're amazing people, profound people, but and spirit led people. But unfortunately, we just we we do this as churches. We miss what the Lord is speaking because we don't have a relationship with Him, so we don't process what He's saying in the correct place. But if we pursue Him, if we have a relationship with Him, we can live in the Spirit, receiving revelation and walking in obedience, as we see. Back on this diagram of body, soul, and spirit, when we receive revelation from the Holy Spirit, when we watch and we listen, then all of a sudden we step into obedience first in the spirit, but the flesh will always follow because the flesh is meant to submit to the spirit. But if I'm not pursuing relationship with God, then my spirit will always submit to my flesh. But in pursuit of relationship with the Lord, as I abide, as I'm transformed and faith increases, I spend time with him. I know his voice. I know what it sounds like. I know what he looks like. When he brings about revelation, when he asks me to step into something in obedience, I'm able to do that as an entire person, not just in spirit, not just in soul, not just in body, but in my entirety, step into obedience because I've processed the information in the correct place. This is life in the spirit. It is that simple. Spend time with God Recognize his voice. Step into what he calls you to. Done. Easy. But it starts with spending time with God. If you do not have a... Again, this, is, this has been the theme of every series I've done on a Wednesday night since I became head pastor. All, all the series, every sermon I've done can be boiled down to one thing. You must pursue God in your own life. 
Period. And then all, what does he say? In pursuit of him, all these things will be added unto you. All the things that we worry about trying to take care of would be taken care of if we would just do the one thing that we're refusing to do. If we would just pursue him, all these problems would be solved because within him are the answers to these things. But today, I want to talk about operating in the spirit this, uh, or let me rephrase. Today, I want us to talk about what it is to operate in the spirit when it comes to salvation. Uh, there's, there's this understanding of salvation um, that cannot be realized without relationship. And it's not typically taught in churches. Um, I, I don't really know why. Uh, but there are three aspects to salvation that are talked about scripturally that we kind of blow past. Unfortunately, in the church, we don't spend a lot of time talking about them. It's more salvation. Uh, we all know this in here. It is more than just a prayer to get us into heaven. And we've talked about and we've seen that we are three in one. There are three aspects of salvation as well. And all to be experienced by the believer. So um, to get started, I've got a, another body, soul, and spirit just drawn up. Just body, soul, and spirit, nice and plain. And we've got three aspects of salvation that we're going to talk about. We're going to start with the salvation of the body, which is called glorification. Um, we're going to be, we've got a lot of scriptures, so I'm going to be going through them pretty quick. If you can get there, awesome. If you can't, just write them down or ask me about it later. Um, but we'll start in 2 Corinthians 4. But glorification, this is salvation of the body. Uh, this salvation in particular is a promise of something that is to come. This glorification, this will be saved. This is not saved yet. We just read in Romans 8, what does it say? Our body is still dead to sin, but our spirit is alive in Christ. Our body is still dead to sin. We are still subject to decay. We can still get ill. We're, we are, this body is still bound for one place, the grave, period. There's no escape in that. This, this, but what does he promise? He promises the glorification of our bodies. Uh, we'll read it starting in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are, trans, are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And in Philippians, oh, where are you? There you are. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to, to, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. This is the final glorification of the body is the final removal of sin from the saints. This is the last thing. We still carry this sin flesh. We don't operate in sin. We are not subject to sin, but we still carry a sin flesh. And this is the final removal of sin from the saints is the glorification of the body. This restoration is attached to the promises, the promise of Jesus's return. Uh, so this is something that will be saved. His honor, praise, majesty, and holiness will be realized in our new 
physical bodies that will come in the new heaven and the new earth after Jesus returns and calls his saints home. Okay, so that's glorification of the body. The second one that I want to talk about is justification. This is in the spirit. This is saved. This will be saved. This is saved. At the moment of salvation, when I pray that prayer, this is saved. My connection to God is restored right then and there in that moment. I cannot ever sever that connection again. The second I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I believe he died on the cross for my sins and that his blood now covers me and washes me clean. This is done. Done deal. You cannot undo salvation. That, that, that has never been in question. That will never be believed in this house. Now, whether somebody actually was saved or just repeated something in a pamphlet that the pastor told you to read out loud, that's a different, that's a different conversation, right? Or the church camp where everybody's crying and the same kid gets saved every year at church camp, right? That's a different kind of conversation, but when somebody comes into true encounter with God and that, that, that abiding faith is present where I, I see that he is good and that he loves me and that I need a savior. And that moment, justification is present. My spirit is saved. I'm connected back to the Holy Spirit. I have communion with God again. Romans 5, 18 says... Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin regained, reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Where am I at? There we are. And then 2 Corinthians again, 5, 16. We've read this a whole bunch. Uh, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." This happens at the moment of salvation. You become this new creation and all of these things that come after verse 16, that we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that God is now making his appeal through us. This is all possible because of justification. And now I am connected back to the spirit of God in my spirit, connected back to God. That's the second aspect of salvation. This happens in the moment I believe in Jesus. This happens Uh, in the glorification of the body, that will happen in heaven. That will happen when Jesus comes back, takes the saints home, creates a new heaven and a new earth, and there's a new body that goes with that. But justification, justification of the spirit, 
Again, this happens at the moment of salvation for a believer. Reconciled back to God, connected to him again, because the denying self to follow him, it's the no longer I who live, but Christ in me. When that exists, there is justification of the Spirit. And it is true at the moment of salvation and connection. These first two happen and are immediately available and true. Okay? The second you become a believer... You are guaranteed this and you are guaranteed this. You are guaranteed justification of your spirit and you are guaranteed glorification of your body. Period. If you believe in Jesus on a Tuesday and then you never say his name again from Wednesday to the rest of your life, if there was true salvation, it does not matter. You will experience justification and you will experience glorification at the end of your days. That, those are guarantees. Now there's a third aspect and this is unfortunately, um, this is the sad part about this because this is the third aspect of salvation. And this has so much to do with why Jesus died upon the cross. It's for this to happen. The daily salvation. And what we call that is sanctification. Sanctification is being there's a present tense meaning to this. Sanctification, uh, it's it's an easy word to deduce what it's meaning. Sanctification, what do you think that means? That is the that is the process of becoming a saint, becoming Christ-like, being molded in his image. It is the salvation of the soul. John 17 says in, in verse 15, I do not ask, this is Jesus' last prayer uh, for us, the believers. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Again, this is being saved. It is the sanctification process, and it is a daily process, the daily pursuit of becoming like Christ. James 1 says in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the spoken word. This is, again, when it says implanted word, it's, it, it, that word translates back to rhema, which is the spoken word of God, meaning present tense speaking. When he is speaking to you to receive this with meekness, this implanted word, which is able to save your souls, which is allowing you to, to step further into salvation, further into who he's called you to be. It is this process of becoming like Christ. And it is necessary. You cannot become like Christ just by studying this book. That's important. This book is crucial. To know it and to know it well is important. But if this is all you pursue, you will not be like Christ. You will know a lot about Christ. I cannot, my, my kids cannot imitate who I want them to be and the things in me that I want them to carry on if they only read about me. 
Liam will never be like his dad if he only reads about his dad. No kid on earth can be like the parent they only read about. They will be like the parent they see because then they will imitate that which they have seen, right? We don't have kids that are saying bad words because they read it on the paper. They say bad words because they heard mom or dad say it, right? They imitate. And we too are to imitate that which we pursue, that which we surround. We will imitate that which holds our heart. You will reflect that which holds your heart, period. This is the result of relationship with the Holy Spirit who is giving us his will and his nature. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What does that imply? That it is your choice. Is submission a choice? Submission is always a choice. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not su- submit, so they got thrown into the, to the furnace because they refused to submit. Submission is always a choice. And he says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, meaning that it is our choice to live as free, as Christ has set us free, free from the, the, the penalty of sin, uh, the penalty that comes from the law, and free to choose him each and every day, or... I can choose to submit again to my yoke of slavery that Christ has freed me from. We step into this process when our heart, again, exists in this place of not my will, but your will be done. And when when that is the echo of our heart uh, and that is coupled with pursuit and relationship, sanctification takes place. It is the daily opportunity I have to learn more about who I am in him and who he is to me and who he is to the world around me, to know his nature, to know his heart. And this is what the enemy seeks to disrupt. And this is one of the main areas where uh, deliverance comes into play because he seeks to remove the daily process of choosing Jesus from the believer. He tries to rob us of that process. So he speaks a lie to prevent us from stepping into this sanctification or just simply misguided teaching. Sometimes the enemy doesn't have to do anything because we take care of it ourselves. We teach the wrong things. Um, Like this has just been a belief that unfortunately it's just been adopted by the church. Um, We've been led to believe that daily pursuit and relationship with God is unnecessary. It's just not that important. If I listen to a few Christian songs, I go to church every couple of weeks. Like, that's, that's all he needs. Like, no, you're, that's, that's a lie. That's a falsehood. Jesus did not come to die so that you could go to church on Easter and Christmas. That's not it. Again, we talked about this several weeks ago, but to only participate in that little bit is to, to starve to death with millions in the bank. You can starve with plenty of money to pay for food. And that's what believers, that's what we're doing. And that's what the enemy seeks to do to us. Because this is where we experience our inheritance. Is in the daily living with God. The sanctification. This is where I see him move. This is where I see him live and breathe. This is where I experience his goodness. This is where I experience, I feel. Because in the soul, my mind, will, and emotions. Those are affected in the presence of God. 
When I go and I operate in obedience, and he says, you know, go pay for this person's meal, and you go do it, you don't think anything of it, but do you, emotionally, you feel something. You're happy. You get excited, right? It, and, and when difficult things happen, when we hear hard stories, and we're processing these things with the Lord, and we feel the heaviness, and what's the, the song, Hosanna, break my heart for what breaks yours, you, that's an emotional statement. Because we also have a God who has emotions. And I get to join with him in feeling these things when I pursue him. I, I feel all this stuff in the soul. And it's through that sanctification process, that daily choosing to be with him, to be in front of him, to be before him, and to walk with him. And again, this is what the enemy seeks to destroy. He seeks to remove us from this place of unity, and he seeks to pluck us from the vine. Matthew 6, 19 through 20 says, or 21, sorry. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In this process of sanctification, this is where this happens. In the process of choosing him, it says uh, that we will come before him and we will either have wood, hay, and stubble or precious gems and jewels. And the fire will test the works of our lives and what remains is what we will be able to offer him as the fruit of my life. Where do you think that takes place? It takes place in the daily choosing of him, the daily choosing to step into all that he freed me for. We, we look at this backwards a little bit. We always think about what he freed us from. We never think about what he freed us for. And that's the important bit. That's the really important part. A ship does not think about where it's going so that it can put an anchor down. It pulls the anchor up in anticipation of where it goes next. It's never, it's never, a, a captain is never thinking about laying down the anchor. He's always thinking about pulling it up to go because that's the Voyager's story. They're moving forward. They're not thinking about where they're leaving. They're thinking about where they're going. It all we do and tend to do in churches talk about where we are coming from and not where we are going towards, what we are heading into. That is That mentality of, of recognizing what he freed me for is realized in this daily process of sanctification. And, daily, and sanctification is the daily choosing to step into relationship with him, to remain in his will, to operate in obedience to his call, and to choose him over myself every moment of every day and I become more and more like him with every passing second that I choose him and not me. And that is the daily salvation that we get to participate in, the moment by moment salvation that we get to participate in or that we don't have to participate in. But this is where the fruit is found and stored in heaven. It's not found here just because you were saved. Just because your body will be restored. No, it's in the daily choosing. A farmer doesn't just go to a field and hope for something to grow. He puts in the work. He sows the seed. He, and then so he can reap the harvest. This is the sowing of seeds. This daily walking with him. The daily choosing him. But again, 
If the enemy can remove you from this process, he has disconnected you from all that you need and all that you're made for. And when we look at Christians today, what of this is missing? It's the daily walking with him. We have so many Christians, we talk about this all the time, it's almost just a, uh, oh, I, I forget the word, but um, it's just common to know Christians who say they believe in Jesus, but look, nothing like him. And I, I, I'm not saying that with any condemnation or pointing any fingers or anything like that, any judgment, no way, not at all, because I was one of those people. But that's the model that we believe is to be Christianity. And we have more people leaving the church than ever before because that's what has been modeled. You say this little prayer when you're younger, somebody sprinkles some water on you, or maybe you take a bath at church, and then like that's just it. Like You're done. You get to go to heaven now. But Jesus did not just simply die on the cross that we could gain access into heaven someday. It was so that we could gain access in heaven right now and usher heaven on this earth right now as he did. What was his model? If Jesus is the model that we are to follow, what did he do? He didn't talk to everybody about uh, one day you're going to get to go do this. It's going to be awesome. And you're just going to leave this place. No, he talked about how he, you could change the world you're in right now. And he was enabling us with power to change it right now. When Peter, in the upper room, received the Holy Spirit and then delivers this sermon, this first message of a man, not Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and he preaches this, this sermon, and thousands of people repent and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, you see heaven ushered in right then and there, but he does not instruct them when they say, what must we do? He does not instruct them to pray uh, and receive the Lord, and then one day you get to go to heaven. No, the work started right then, right there, right in that very moment. They received the Holy Spirit. And then immediately in verse 47, we have the church. And what are they doing? They're not, they're not just praying. They're, they're, they're attending temples they're together. They're studying the word. They're fellowshipping with one another. But they're also operating in obedience. What obedience? They're selling their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And they had favor in the entire city. Because they were actively working and ushering in heaven. And miracles broke out. And signs and wonders broke out. Because heaven was being ushered in. We are meant to usher heaven in. But for some reason we have believed this falsehood that I just say yes to Jesus. And then one day I get to go to heaven. And that's it. That's the story. And then I just live my life. How I would live my life. I work it out. I figure it out. Maybe I get a little bit more religious when I get married and have some kids. Because it's good structurally. That's what we've done. That's what we've reduced this to. And we unfortunately are missing the sanctification process of becoming like Christ and, and, and knowing Jesus and knowing the Father and knowing the Spirit in a deep and intimate way and being a vessel that ushers in the presence of God each and every day to this world and does not simply wait to be in the presence of God outside of this world. That's sanctification. And it is so important. And it is the one thing the enemy wants. If, if, this, if, if salvation happens, great. He does not care. He does not care if you get saved. He does not care. 
He wants to make you useless. He wants to render you useless. He wants you to be a car on cinder blocks with no tires. That engine may start, but you're not going anywhere. That's what he wants. Because then there are fewer people that will step into the goodness of who God is. If one person's saved, but I can keep that one person from impacting thousands, he's done his job, right? Why are we here today? Because one man by the name of Peter received a vision and stepped into obedience. And because of that obedience, he shared the gospel with the Gentiles. Who we, that's, that's who we are. We were Gentiles. We are outside the Jewish heritage and race. We were Gentiles. And because of Peter's obedience, we now are in a church in sundown Texas, in the, the middle of a country they didn't even know existed at the time, or a landmass that didn't, they didn't know existed at the time. And we're talking about Jesus here and now, things that they knew because of his obedience. So if he can prevent that kind of obedience by separating you from relationship, separating you from the body, by planting a lie and removing this process of sanctification, then he's won. He's won that battle. Yes, you may be saved, but you will have no impact on the kingdom of heaven. I will own your days because I will plant a lie in you and you will, you will, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy and you will just go in circles and circles and circles around this lie and you will produce fruit that is toxic to you and those around you and you will not do anything for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. And you will come before the Lord and you won't have anything to offer him. That's what he wants. And this is the process that he seeks to remove. So we as believers that know the truth first have to make sure that we are a part of this process. That we are stepping into this. That we are daily participating in the goodness uh, of God. That he has freed us from sin so that we can encounter on a daily basis that we can operate in sanctification because I cannot lead somebody into this if I myself am not operating in it. I cannot give away what I have not received. If I have not received my daily sanctification, my daily choosing him to lay myself down in pursuit of him, how could I ever expect anybody to follow me and do that, which I do not do myself? So we as believers have to understand that this is the process of sanctification and this is where the battle is going to be. This is where it's going to be. When you start talking about deliverance, it's all about preventing them from daily walking with God, daily encountering heaven, daily ushering in obe- uh, works of obedience and ushering in the spirit. It's, a, it's about removing that daily participation uh, with the spirit and with the body of Christ. And so that's where the enemy attacks. That's what he seeks to plant. That's why he plants a lie in your mind that you believe this about yourself. Um, And it's to remove this process of sanctification, of becoming like Christ on a daily basis. And so next week, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about now, okay, we've talked about the lie several times. Okay, the lie's planted. What, What does that look like? What does this lie look like? And so we're going to talk about that journey Uh, starting next week. Once we understand that, once we understand how the lie works, what it looks like, uh, and understand the people that operate in those. Um, Again, I was one of those people. Uh, I'm not speaking as an outsider pointing fingers at people. I was one of those people. And I'm telling you all this stuff that I'll write out is stuff that I'm like, yep, I experienced that. I didn't know I was experiencing that, but I experienced that. And once we understand how the lie works and how it manipulates and how it moves, then we can begin to understand, okay, now how do we address it? Thanks for listening to this message.
Church. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.